we uh, have kind of taken a quick tour through part of the fungal uh, kingdom. Um, we started back with uh, the imperfect fungi. Again, the issue here was uh, that they have not been observed to have a sexual reproducing stage. Uh, it does not mean that they don't. Uh, and if they are ever, if one is found, then they'll get moved into the appropriate group. Uh, but at this point, uh, those are things that uh, are just not known. Um, we looked at chytrids. Chytrid, the unique thing about chytrids is that their uh, spores are flagellated. In other words, they can swim. That is not the case with other fungi. Okay, so that was somewhat unique to this group. Um, puts them probably uh, closer to, in uh, some respects, to the proteas, uh, but um, they're fit into this group. Uh, they're the ones, uh, that is the group that is implicated in the decline in amphibians around much of the globe. Um, certainly we have had some impact on that by habitat destruction, but uh, th that's not the only thing that's going on. Uh, this is a, a worldwide, uh, essentially, a, a pandemic to the, on, on amphibians, uh, the, 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 particularly frogs. Uh, not so much with toads, mostly with frogs. Um, uh, and so it uh, spreads to the water, which of course is something that all amphibians have to be near, near the water all the time. We'll be getting into that in the next group. So um, no real way of controlling that out in the wild. But that's uh, the second group of fungi. Uh, this is kind of what they do. They infect the skin, which is part of what amphibians need in order to breathe. They breathe. They get much of their oxygen through the skin. Uh, they do have lungs, but uh, they're pretty inefficient. And so when you damage the skin, then they can't get sufficient oxygen, and this is what causes the problem. Uh, then we looked at the zygomycetes. Um, these are really what we would normally refer to as molds. Uh, the things that uh, look all fuzzy on, on the surface. Uh, and what you're seeing when you see that fuzzy surface are reproductive structures uh, that are uh, holding spores. Uh, we, uh, the typical bread mold, if you have strawberries that, that we kept it molded, uh, these are very, it's a very common uh, mold. It's not uh, a large part of the fungal kingdom uh, but one that we found find often. It's uh, found in the soil, and uh, they uh, are certainly uh, a problem for food. And we looked at their life cycle. Okay, so they have an asexual cycle. The spores germinate. They grow the hyphae. Remember, hyphae and mycelia are the growing, the unique growing parts of, of a fungus. It grows through the food source secreting digestive enzymes, breaking down the food source, absorbing the nutrients. Um, and when they have absorbed sufficient nutrients and grown to a particular point, uh, they will begin a reproductive cycle. Uh, they will uh, send up these little stalks, they'll produce spores, which will you know, continue the cycle. Now this is an asexual, so these are all genetically the same. Uh, but when you're in the middle of your food and you've got plenty of food, this looks, looks a very effective way of, of reproducing. Now, if there is more than one mating type in this food source, when two mating types find each other, they will grow together 
they will form what's called a zygospore. Again, these are two nuclei fused, making this diploid. The zygospore immediately goes through meiosis and produces new spores. And this is a sexual process because now we've taken DNA from two separate individuals, combined it into one, and then immediately gone back to being haploid. Is that the, these fungi are generally haploid? Uh, and so that's a that's a, a common life cycle. Uh, they, and so you, I can't imagine you haven't seen this. Although bread uh, that you buy today. Uh, has a lot of preservatives in it, and it will keep for quite a long time without molding. It makes you kind of wonder some days. Um, but if you bought uh, bread that was freshly baked and didn't have all the preservatives in it, um, it molds within a few days. Uh, just because there's mold spores in the air all the time. You're breathing them right now, everybody is. Uh, some people are allergic to them, or to certain species of mold, not to all of them. Okay, so that was where Zygomycetes, they're called that because when they go through sexual reproduction, they form this very specific structure. Here's a, uh, maybe a photomicrograph of it. Okay. So any of the fungi that produce that kind of structure as part of their sexual reproductive phase are put into this group. That's the unique feature of this group. Okay. We looked at the, uh, the, the spore cannon uh, little video. Then we looked at the glomerulomycetes. Um, these used to be in the zygomycete group. They've just recently been moved into a separate group. But the key thing is they form mutualistic relationships with the roots of plants. They assist plants in, in absorbing nutrients. They increase the surface area uh, down in the soil so the plants can get uh, nutrients better. Most plants have a, a species of these that they form this relationship with. So really, uh, you know, the, most plants don't live independently, okay? Most plants out in the wild are forming this relationship with the fungus, okay? And, uh, and it's important to their, to their growth. So they, these two kingdoms really interact quite a lot. In fact, uh, if you were to go out in the woods out here, if you could, if you could visualize the fungal uh, uh, mycelia that are down in the soil, you would find that all the trees out here are connected by this fungal network. <coughs> so, an important. Now, fungi have also, just kind of an interesting uh, factoid, if you will, whatever. Uh, the largest, the single largest organism ever found has, is a fungus. Okay, and I can't remember how many uh, acres of forest. Let me see if I can find it. been a couple of them, one in Michigan, and then there was a, another uh, one, I want to say out in Washington State or Oregon. I can't remember which. And then one was a, yeah, this is a one in Oregon. Uh, it uh, is involved, uh, it, it actually damages some of the evergreen trees, but uh, it covers uh, a single. Uh, Essentially, a single organism covers uh, almost 1,500 acres. Now, that's how far over however many years that has been there, that's how far the mycelium has spread under, in, in the soil, 1,500 acres. Okay, so 
uh, it's a really you know, large. Now, there's also been one up in Michigan that was talked about. It's not quite as large as this. This one has kind of taken over the, the, uh, the area. Uh, and so here's, uh, they spread below the ground here. They pulled up a bunch of the uh, uh, mycelia, and this is just covering over the whole, pretty much the whole area. So these get quite, uh, some fungi, I uh, can get uh, these get distributed a little better. Get that. Okay. Okay, this is from Scientific American. Uh, so, yeah, okay, so now this one here, uh, now this one, uh, over 2,000 acres now has been verified. Uh, and so this basically is. The single largest organism that's really ever been discovered. So, fungi, fungi are really a, a critical feature of ecosystems. Absolutely critical feature. Okay, then uh, we looked at the ascomycetes. They are called this because when they go through sexual reproduction, they perform meiosis and form these sacs that have exactly eight spores in each sac. And the sac is called an ascus, and that's where the name of the group comes from. So again, you look at the sexual reproductive phase of, an, of a fungus. If it forms an ascus and forms the eight spore arrangement, it then it can falls into this particular group. These are often also referred to as the cup fungi. Uh, they're a very diverse group. Um, and uh, they also reproduce asexually. Almost all the fungi reproduce both ways. Okay, that, but the sexual one is what uh, tells us what group it falls in. So a lot of the, the ones that uh, spoil foods are sac fungi. Uh, yeast is a sac fungus fits into this group. Um, particularly the uh, candida, uh, that's a pathogenic form of fungus, uh, at least pathogenic on humans. Um, they, I, you know, if you were an insect, I guess you'd consider that cordyceps fungus to be a pathogen, but it doesn't affect us. Uh, baker's yeast, uh, cerevisiae is, uh, is, fits into this group. So humans have had a long uh, interaction with this particular group of fungi. Besides eating some of them, um, we have, uh, have used them. Uh, members of uh, penicillium fit into this group, the organism that we, get the, we got the very first really well-known antibiotic, this penicillin, came from a mold. Um, of course, cordyceps fits into this group. So this is a very diverse group that we uh, have, that, that of course we use for a lot for food. Uh, you know, it's, it's used in, uh, uh, to make cheeses, it's used to make bread, uh, it's used to make anything with alcohol in it. Uh, some of the blue uh, penicilliums are used in making cheeses. Uh, so these are very, uh, have been put to work by many, many uh, groups of, of, of humans. Uh, as I, I don't think there's a culture in the world that's been found that doesn't ferment something using yeast to make an alcoholic drink. 
Right? You can, anything with sugar in it can be fermented. Right? That's, you just need the right conditions. Yeast need to be in an aerobic condition. They will ferment away and they will produce carbon dioxide and alcohol as a byproduct of that fermentation. Fruit ferments, uh, you know, any kind of fruit can be used. Um, cactus can be used. Uh, and of course, grains can be used, which is how we make most of our, we use mostly corn, but you can also use wheat. Uh, some beers have rye in them. Oats. Okay, so just about anything can be used to, to ferment. Okay, you know, so you know, like if you've ever this is a, a, a British beer, but it's called Oatmeal Stout. This is one of their their advertisements. Okay, uh, or as they would say over there, and at Britishmen, um, but they don't drink your oatmeal. Okay, so but it's the same basic process. It's a fermentation process using some source of carbohydrates. Yeast that do that. Uh, if you, uh, <clears throat> you know, when we, uh, has anybody here make their own bread? Anybody ever? Yeah, okay, so that, that's pretty rare today. You don't find many people who do that. Uh, so you buy the little packets of yeast that you use? Okay, yeah. Uh, those are essentially uh, freeze dried uh, yeast. Those little packets keep a long time, um, although they do eventually expire. Uh, when I was a kid, uh, my mom didn't, didn't have those. My mom would buy these little uh, paper-wrapped cakes of yeast. They were moist still, and they didn't last nearly as long. But you would crumble them up in, into, into the dough, and it would do the same thing. Uh, in places where you have no store to go to, okay, and there are, that's, not, uh, that's not as common today, but it still is in many, many countries. It was in the American West. You couldn't go to the store and buy yeast. There wasn't any to buy. So what did you do? You had you kept your own culture of yeast. You grew it, and you fed it so periodically. So that, and it was called sourdough. Okay, sourdough was basically a yeast culture. If you eat sourdough bread, uh, and of course you can use it to make cakes. You can use it to make pancakes. You know, you can use it to make lots of different things besides bread. Um, that's made your yeast source. There is a growing yeast culture. That you can keep for literally generations. Just periodically feed it with some uh, little bit of flour. Uh, keep it in a cool place. It'll keep for it keeps for a very long time. And then when you want to use it, you get it out. You activate it by feeding it. It grows. It leaves it grow overnight, and uh, it, it will grow very rapidly overnight when you feed it. Uh, well, we used to keep some. Uh, I think my ex-wife still has it. Uh, uh, that uh, when you, she kept it in a Tupperware container, it was about this big, kept it in the refrigerator. And when you didn't use it for several weeks, you'd open that up and it would be all black on the top and it would just be a separate liquid. And stir that thing up, put a little bit of milk and some flour in there, set it out on the kitchen counter. The next morning it would have filled all the way to the top. That when you go to make whatever you're going to make, you just scoop some of that out and put it in it, take the rest, put it back in the refrigerator. So yeast is a Common product, okay. common to you. Okay, so basically, uh, as we talked about, you would have gone over last semester. So uh, with cell respiration or fermentation, that carbon dioxide—that's what makes bread rise—is the release of the carbon dioxide. And of course, when you uh, when you bake it, all the alcohol is baked out of it. Um, but of course, you can also make beer, wine, any kind of spirits.
so that's using a specific strain of yeast. Now, there are places where they make, uh, let's see, in uh, Belgium, there's a particular time of year <clears throat> where they make beer by simply preparing open vats, opening the windows, and whatever blows in on there is what they ferment that with. But they know that at this time of year, there's going to be a particular type of yeast spore and some bacteria, and uh, they're called lambics, lambic beer. But it's the same thing. There's wild yeast out there. Uh, if you eat sourdough uh, products, they don't all taste the same. Why? Because they have a different strain of yeast that's been used. They don't all taste the same. Some of them are more sour than others. Also depends on how much of the sourdough stuff you actually use. So, uh, yeast is a really important uh, part of our culture. Um, so this is just a, another example here of uh, a fungus life cycle. This is the ascomycete, and you can see uh, they, of course, have asexual reproduction, sexual uh, form. They are, again, haploid. They form a cell that has two nuclei in it. They don't fuse right away. They, in fact, will grow for some time with two nuclei in each cell, one from each of the original. And then when they reproduce those fuse, <clears throat> uh, they go through meiosis to form those four cells. Each of those cells go through mitosis, and you end up with the ascus with the eight spores in it. And there'll be some a cluster of them. There'll be a, literally hundreds and hundreds of these uh, ascites form. Uh, that's a unique feature of this group. Yeah, but that's how they reproduce. Okay, then the last group are the basidiomycetes. These are the typical mushrooms. So when, when you ask people about fungus, this is what most people think of. Um, the, the, the mushroom is a spore-producing structure. And uh, that is unique. They don't live very long. The actual mushroom part has a generally, uh, may live for anywhere from a few days to a few weeks. Um, once the spores are dropped out of it, it decays and it's done. Uh, the growing part, the mycelium, is down on, in the ground or in, in wood or whatever the food source is for this particular organism. Uh, the little button mushrooms, little white button mushrooms that you can buy in the store, are grown in a essentially a, uh, a mix of uh, compost, uh, that, uh, a very rich mix of compost, so that they grow rapidly, uh, and then they're harvested. Somebody when they go when they get to a point that they're reproducing that sexual. People, and it's a manual labor for the most part still, people go in and they, they pull off those caps and they wash them and package them. That's, that's where they come from. Uh, it's a very uh, uh, lucrative business <clears throat> when it, uh, unless something screws up because everything has to be at the right temperature, you have to have the right nutrients for them or, or they don't produce and then of course you're in, in trouble. Now, the cap on the top, uh, if you look, so this is a typical mushroom. This is referred to as the cap and, and then a stalk. If you look underneath this, it has little, like little curtain-like things coming down underneath. These, these are called gills. And it's along the gills that the reproductive actual spores are formed. Now this is one gill right here. These little cells that stick out to the side with two nuclei in them, these, this is referred to as a basidium. Uh, 
Presidium in Latin means a club, and apparently somebody who early on figured this out thought it looked like a, a, a club, you know, the, the caveman type club, not, not a golf club or something like that. And so that's where the name comes from. Uh, those two nuclei will eventually fuse to form a zygote, go through meiosis and produce four spores which stick out on the end of that. And then when those are mature, they simply fall out of the, uh, out of the gill. You know, one of the ways you can identify some species, you take the mushroom, you put it on a piece of white paper and you look to see what color the spores are and what the pattern is. Okay. Um, that's their sexual reproductive structure, okay? That's the unique structure that identifies a basidium or a basidium mites. Uh, these are just some examples. Uh, these are quite common around here. Uh, generally, these are found around oak trees. Uh, apparently, they form a, the mycelium forms a relationship with oak tree roots. So these these actually last. Oh, I used to have these in the, in the old house. Uh, they, they would last for they're pretty tough and leathery like, and they would they, those things would last for uh, several weeks uh, before they they were done. Others, like I said, don't last very long. I've got a couple of short videos. This is the, the typical, what we call a button mushroom. This is a particular uh, species of mushroom that is the, used to be the common commercial mushroom. And you still can buy these, there are lots of them. Today you can go to the grocery store though and you can buy many different kinds of mushrooms. Uh, when I was growing up, pretty much this was it. This was about all you got. I remember when my dad was on strike, my mom worked in a greenhouse and this is what she did, she packed mushrooms. They raised mushrooms. She sat in a room with about three or four other people. They took boxes and they packed the mushrooms into the boxes. That's what she, uh, what she did. That still that was a because they wanted them in there in a particular arrangement, so it was a manual job. Not something that paid a tremendous amount for. But the cordyceps we've already looked at. Um, I've got a. Uh, <clears throat> Unfortunately, these I can't make these larger. Can anyone figure that? The big dog, the organism is because what we get is you're seeing the which I'm picking. Okay, so this is uh, from Costa Rica. Uh, this was a number of years ago. This is the Field Museum uh, of uh, Natural History in, in Chicago. Uh, they produced several of these. We only looked at about three of them. Uh, to give you some, uh, you know, interesting, you know, well, I guess you didn't saw this one interesting or not, but at least uh, another look at uh, different things about about fungi. These things, and these are really the apple on apple tree. So this is the fruit body. The spores, the specialized reproductive structures, are born on the inside, on the outside of these gills, and then the spores are released and blown away and start new individuals. But underground, they're in this moss or in the leaf litter. Are these the long-lived part of the fungus that's growing? It's called the, the mycelium, and we'll see some of that later, I'm sure. Um, all of this white, white right here, here's some nice ones here. Is the long-lived part of the fungus, and so this is the part that interacts with the environment, uh, takes up nutrients, fights off bacteria and everything else. And then when the conditions are right, it'll produce 
a scorecard, a fruit body, a mushroom, what we call them. And so, so this was growing out of, out of here, and then we take it off and here's the mycelium. And so this is also the part that's either decomposing uh, dead organic material or forming symbiotic relationships with, with trees and other plants. So I'm not damaging anything when I'm picking these mushrooms or when any other member of the team is picking a mushroom. This is like picking an apple off the mushroom. Okay, so uh, the, the reproductive part then does not, uh, you know, we used to have neighbors. Uh, People who had you ever know those people who uh, go out there and, and their, their their lawns are their pride and joy. Okay, uh, I used to, there was one guy I knew who he hated the uh, gumballs. Okay, which most of you probably are familiar with living here in Virginia. He would actually go out there with a shop vac and vacuum his yard to get the gumballs out. You know, that to me is a bit bit much. Okay, uh, if you go to that extreme, but. People like that. When mushrooms come up in their yard, we get in the spring, or late spring, we get uh, you know it's warmed up. We get some rain, um, and and the the mushroom is uh, much of that is water. Uh, they, they will appear literally overnight. They are not there yesterday. The next day, if, you know, if we've had some moist weather and it's warm, all of a sudden there will be there there be mushrooms. Okay and. Um, and they would, people would go around and they'd kick them over. You know, they ha hate these mushrooms. And they go around and they'd kick them. It doesn't do anything to get rid of the mushrooms. Okay? Mycelium is all still there. Even if the spores weren't mature yet, he hasn't done anything to get rid of the mushroom. They're going to come up again next year or, the, or later in the season. You know, that, and that's what that video was uh, about. Uh, One of the challenges we have is just knowing. Okay. Um, some of the Cecidiomyces are fairly large. We're used to seeing small ones. Oof! Look at the size of this thing. Oh, excellent! 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 Hey guys, look at this big Macrocidi Titans. It's a giant. See it bigger, but this is really the tallest one I've seen. I never in my dreams thought that something this big could, could exist. Isa, can we talk to Steve about creation of you? Yes, good. See? Okay. Uh huh. So Isaac has been watching it for about eight days. He's not about it, but he thinks it's been out for about a month. Ah, love it. Which is one of the unique things about this, that it lives for so long. Or the fruit body stays erect for so long. Most mushrooms come up for about a week and then decompose. Ah, this thing's amazing. There's just nothing like this in Illinois. And there's some new young ones here and there's some even younger ones over there. And it's growing out of an old anthill, an abandoned leaf cutter ant nest. And so it's not the mushroom that the leaf cutters uh, cultivate or use for food. It's just amazing. It shouldn't be able to get this thing. But what happens is when the leaf cutter ants abandon the nest, they've left behind a lot of food resources. 
lot of dead leaves and other things. And so we think this is growing out of what was left over after the ants abandoned the nest. So this is Macrocebe tetans, which is the largest mushroom I know of as far as just size. The biggest one I've seen has been a meter across or a yard across, so a little bit bigger than this. Um, but this is probably the tallest one I've seen. It's just incredible. The other thing that's characteristic about this, this has a terrible odor. You know you're in the tropics when you see a mushroom this big. And so I think it probably has some compounds in here that's keeping other bugs and insects and uh, larvae out of it. And that's one of the reasons it can grow and survive for so long and get so big. Is because it's got natural insecticides uh, in it that keeps everything else out. So, macrocebe tetans. What a beauty. People who study these things, they get excited about this. I'd rather enjoy that. also. But you find a lot of them here in Virginia. That's a lactarius. So lactarius is characterized there. That's good. So what? Uh, leg party. What leg? There's a. Yeah, you can see the gills on here. He's looking at the underside of the caps. So you can see the gills. A little bit of milk coming out there. You can see some latex right here coming out. And depending on the species of lactarius, this milk can be white. It can be clear. It can be orange. It can be green. It can be blue. It can be red. And that's one of the characteristics of for identifying different species of lactarius. Depends on oh, this a nice milk coming out there, this gill right here. Uh, depends on the, the color. Most of them are white or clear, but when it's a different color, that's a really good characteristic for identifying. And some change color. So we have some mushrooms in this forest that it comes out white and then immediately turns yellow, the latex does. So that's the genus Lactarius, one of the really common abundant mushrooms in these forests, and in oak forests throughout the world. So if there's oaks, usually you're going to find some species of lactarius. This species actually occurs in North America as well. So we think it migrated with the oaks into this forest over the last three million years ago. Hi, we're in Bihagua, Costa Rica, which is in Alahuela province. The first day it hadn't been raining, so I'm enjoying being out here in a t-shirt. And we're at the Giliconia's uh, Lodge and Ecological Preserve. It's a cool place. It's owned by a cooperative of the agricultural folks here who decided to uh, do something to try to preserve some of the remaining forest and started this ecological, ecotourist um, lodge. Uh, we're at about 700 meters in elevation, so roughly 2,100 feet above sea level. And in this area, there are wonderful pre-montane forests. Most of the fungi in this area are decomposers. So rather than forming the symbiotic relationship with the roots, as they do with oaks, most of the mushrooms here are decomposer fungi. They're nature's recyclers. Well, this is one of the inky caps, the caprinoid. So they grow fairly fast. They come up and form in this 
is a little button of this mushroom. And then it will turn into this shape. And then it will basically ink and digest. You can see, I don't know if it's in the film, but there's an ink all over my hand. So you can see how easy it is. This knife isn't that sharp, but I can cut it into there. In fact, I can break off a piece of wood here and actually break that up. I'm not that slow. It's because the fungus has blown through here and is decomposing and breaking down the cellulose and lignin that, com that comprises this wood. So without these mushrooms and a few types of bacteria, there'd be nothing to do the initial breakdown and recycling of wood. It would be miles deep in, in downed logs. Some paper companies now are using these decomposer fungi to do the initial breakdown. So they take the wood that they're going to make paper out of, uh, chop it up into smaller pieces, and then grow it with one of these decomposer fungi that break down the lignin, leaving the cellulose fibers, and that speeds up and actually simplifies the process of making paper. Isa, yes, esto, por favor. Rigidophorus umarius. Oh, okay. So this is one of the real common uh, polypore mushrooms in this area. And you got the beautiful rings here. And so each of the growth phases will leave a ring. And you've got these beautiful pores. They're breaking down the dead organic material. They're breaking down the dead leaves, the dead wood, and recycling the nutrients that are tied up in them into smaller, easier to use compounds that go into making new soil, that's being used by growing plants, uh, animals, other microbes. And so by breaking down, by recycling these nutrients, these fungi are playing a critically important role in maintaining the health of these forests. Okay, now those are what we're on here, you'll find, we often refer to them as shelf fungi because they grow out of the side like a, look like a little shelf. They're very, they're hard. Uh, some people will cut, they'll break them off and dry them out. <clears throat> and some, one of the, the kind of craft thing you'll see, particularly out more out in the western part of the state, <clears throat> is that people will paint them. After they've dried, they will paint on them a scene of some kind and then of course sell them. Uh, so those shelf type fungi, uh, the, the structure of it lasts for quite a while. Uh, but it's a, it is a mushroom. It, it's a Basidiomyces. Uh, the gills are inside, you can't see them, but the little holes in the bottom are where the spores filter out. Okay. Uh, another type of, uh, these are uh, puffballs. Uh, those are common around here. Puffballs grow in a, in, a, in a circle with a little tiny hole in the top. They form the spores inside, and then when something steps on them or uh, when there's a heavy rain, it hits the outside, creating pressure, and you get little puff of like smoke come out of the top of it, and that spreads the spores around. Uh, I've seen them around here, uh, about golf ball size, most of the ones that I've seen uh, in, here, around this area. Uh, in some parts of the country, they will grow to be this big around. Uh, we don't, I haven't seen anything like that around here. Uh, when they are, before they're mature, while they're still solid mycelium, before they've started producing spores, they're quite edible, and uh, people will, will pick them 
and then they slice them into thin slices and fry them in some butter, and they're really quite good. So, uh, but you've got to be careful about eating wild mushrooms. <clears throat> so that's just a, a little bit of a uh, look at uh, some of the tropical forms. Um, uh, this, is, uh, this, this is an older website, it's from 2004, but of course the fungi haven't changed a whole lot uh, in that amount of time. So it's really uh, one of the more uh, useful sites. Okay, so these are the, the typical home mushrooms. You'll notice that most of these, the cap is still closed. The majority of the ones, the best ones for eating are you eat them before the cap opens up for this particular type. Um, th these are different than some of the other mushrooms, you know, that are great big, huge things that uh, get you dying still. Okay. Um, now, pathogens. Okay. There are fungi that are pathogens. Um, the, the, the two that are listed there first are are superficial pathogens, okay? Uh, uh, what that means is they grow on the skin. Um, ringworm, uh, which is uh, the picture up there in the upper right corner. A uh, ringworm is not a worm, it's actually a fungus. Uh, it's called tinea. Uh, there are many species of tinea, uh, depending on where on the body they grow. There's tinea capitis, which grows on the scalp, not uncommon in, in, in infants. Uh, there's some that grow on the face, uh, called tinea barbaris, like barber, okay, like I just saw there. Uh, there are the ones that grow on the body. There are some that will grow in the groin area. And then there's uh, tinea pedis, which grows on your feet, which is athlete's foot, okay. There's several different ones of them. Uh, but basically, the idea is they grow superficially on the skin, okay. And uh, because of that, they're uh, uh, relatively easy to treat uh, because you can use fairly uh, strong treatments because you're not taking them internally. You're just applying them to the outside. Uh, candida is the other one. Uh, that's the, the typical yeast uh, that causes infections, uh, uh, vaginal infections, or in, and sometimes in infants uh, in the mouth called thrush. But that's uh, candida is the name of that particular, that's a, a yeast-like organism. Um, Actually, uh, candida is always uh, present. Uh, it is inhibited normally in the vagina, at least, by the acidity. Uh, the vagina contains trillions of uncountable numbers of lactobacilli. Lactobacilli are fermenters. They produce lactic acid. And this maintains the acidity. And that prevents the growth of the of the, uh, the fungus, at least it prevents it from getting out of hand. Usually when you get a, a yeast infection, it's because something has upset that balance and it's not as acidic, and then the yeast says, oh, oh happy day, you know, we, we can grow now, and off they go. Uh, and then you're stuck with it until you, you, you treat. Uh, but normally the lactobacilli prevent that. Okay. Now, there are also systemic fungi, uh, or, or pathogens. Um, these are three of them, coccidiomycosis, histoplasmosis, uh, pneumocystis. Um, these are almost all uh, going to be lung diseases. The spores are inhaled, and the fungus actually grows in the lung tissue. They are uh, 
potentially fatal. Uh, they cause uh, essentially a type of pneumonia. Pneumonia is not an organism. It's a anytime you have a, a lung disorder that results in inflammation in the lung, which results in the accumulation of fluids, which fill up with some of the little alveoli, the little air, air sacs, and then you have difficulty breathing. And if enough of those get filled up, well then yeah, that's it. Uh, so these are found, um, some of them in uh, South America, as you can see, um, the majority of them, uh, this is the coccidia uh, mycosis. In North America, they're found mostly in Mexico and in Texas, and then up through the Central Valley of California, which leads to one of the other names of this, it used to be called Valley Fever, because it was often acquired in that Central Valley area. Uh, they, they need warm and dry environments, generally, generally where you're going to find them. Uh, histoplasmosis uh, around here is, it does occur in Virginia, but mostly uh, in caves. Uh, so people who uh, explore caves are, are often exposed to this. Right? Now, difficult to treat the internal infection. And the reason is that fungal cells are the closest other kingdom to animal cells. And so while it's very easy with bacteria to get drugs that will inhibit bacterial growth with minimal harm to your cells, because the cells are so different from each other. For fungi, this is much more difficult. And so uh, fungal treatments for these types of diseases often uh, take uh, literally weeks and occasionally months to get rid of them entirely. There are treatments for them, but uh, they, are, they are a problem. So there are fungal pathogens, and by pathogens we mean they actually in, uh, grow on or in you and create uh, damage to your tissue and so we call that a disease at that point. Uh, so these are the pathogens that cause that. Okay, now, that's not the only way fungi can be a problem. There are also uh, some species produce toxins. Um, I've got, uh, hopefully the link will work here in a minute. Uh, they, uh, basically these are liver toxins. Uh, and, uh, There are not a lot of species that produce it, but the problem is that some of the species that produce it are very similar to edible fungi, and so uh, eating wild uh, mushrooms is something that is always a possibility that somebody has misidentified something. Okay, now if you get just a little bit of it, of the toxin, uh, about 12 hours, six to 12 hours afterwards, you can see what the symptoms are. Um, those kind of go away, but then the toxin is causing damage to the liver. Now, if there's enough toxin to cause liver failure, then that's fatal, and there's nothing you can do about it at that point. Uh, if it does not cause liver failure, then you will recover because your liver is one of the few, well, basically about the only organ we have that will regenerate to a large degree. Liver really is pretty amazing in what it's able to do. Uh, but that's generally what these cause, is, is, a, is a liver failure and you can't live if your liver is not functioning. Uh, and, and so this is when, uh, and you'll read, uh, if, again, if you look for it, you would find that every year there are people who die from eating poisonous mushrooms. So it, it's not an uncommon thing. Can you see a fragment? 
Okay, so here is uh, here are some of them. There's one there. Uh, this is referred to here as the death cap. Okay, uh, Ammonita, it uh, or death angel, the other name. Uh, you know, they're not. They don't. They don't. There's nothing about them that says, "Oh, I'm I'm bad. Don't do anything." There's nothing there that's going to tell you that. You have to be able to uh, identify them properly. Uh, there's another. That's a little older version of it. Um, there's a, another uh, fungus. And this is uh, another Ammonita. Uh, Ammonitas have most, that particular group of mushrooms have the majority of the poisoning that occurs. Or actually, they wouldn't call it. Uh, I guess it is poisoning uh, in this case. Um, uh, but uh, are, yeah, they're in that particular group, the majority of them. So, uh, meaning now, uh, while mushrooms, while there's many out there that are quite edible, uh, and these are just some of the ones that are not, I've seen these very commonly around here. They're kind of reddish-orange on the top, and they got little white specks on them, okay? Uh, when they get to be that large, they're very easy to identify that this is a poisonous mushroom. The problem is when they first come up with the little button, they don't have that on there, and it's easy to confuse that with one of the edible ones. And that's why people, every now and then, somebody makes a mistake, uh, and they pay for that mistake. Okay. Um, but these are just some of the poisonous uh, mushrooms that are around. Now, there's lots of edible fungi as well. Uh, now, this one is edible. Now, let me go back one. That one, right there, not that much different. This one's poisonous. That one's edible. Okay. Um, these are just some of the common edible ones. And there are others that are uh, edible as well. Yeah, this, this kind of bubbles. So, at any rate, uh, you have to be, be careful. And so, uh, that's a, another thing that fungi, some some uh, mushrooms do, is they produce toxins, and, and these are, can often be fatal. Even once identified, uh, the liver damage is you can't stop the damage. You know, all you can do is support the individual and hope that the liver is able to recover. Beyond that, there's not much that you can do. When this occurs, usually it's a group of people. Because usually there's not just one person that's eating them. They've, they picked them and they've made them and they've shared them. And so you'll have three, four people that are affected by them. Now, fungi also produce symbiotic relationships. Thought we were done with them, didn't we? We were hoping anyway. Uh, they produce symbiotic relationships with other organisms. Uh, now, one of these are lichens. Lichens are a combination of a fungus, uh, often an ascomycete, uh, with a photosynthetic single-celled algae. It may either be a green algae or a cyanobacterium, a blue-green algae, either one. Now, the fungus makes up the bulk of the structure. If you went outside today and looked at the tree trunks, 
you would see this kind of grayish, greenish, uh, scaly-like stuff on many of the tree trunks. Uh, this is uh, a living organism. It is a lichen. Okay? Uh, it, it, what you see is the fungal part of the organism. Okay? Uh, this provides protection for the, uh, the algae, which then you do photosynthesis and provide nutrients to both of them. Okay? So this is what some of them look like. This is one of the ones that is common around here. This one's grown quite a bit. Uh, these are considered to be pioneer species. They will grow where nothing else can grow because they don't need to get nutrients directly from, the, they don't need soil, they, they, they'll grow on rocks, okay? They'll attach to rocks and they'll really grow right on a rock surface. Um, and so new habitats or, or an area that's been cleared, if you go out uh, in an older area where they have either bricks or sidewalks that have been there for many years, you'll find little round areas of, of orange or black uh, you know, this, uh, these are lichens that are just growing on that bare rock, okay? Uh, and so what they do is they begin the process of turning that area into a more hospitable area because they are producing organic materials. Among those are organic acids. Acids will slowly etch tiny, minute cracks in the rock, okay? And when you get tiny cracks in the rock, you're going to get dust particles get in there. Uh, if it's someplace where it freezes, you're going to get water in there, and then it's going to freeze, which is going to make the cracks larger. And then they will accumulate more dust and, and, and soil particles, and eventually you'll get little plants start to grow in them, and their roots go down in there, and they, and they make the cracks larger. Uh, and eventually they will, it does help to break down that rock and begin the process of forming soil. So these are considered to be uh, a pioneer species. They grow extremely slowly. Okay? So they're also used as an environmental indicator because they're very sensitive uh, to that. And because they have grown for so long, you can take little samples of them at different areas from the center and you can test them for, the, the, for what types of environmental uh, toxins might be there. Uh, so they've been, they've been used for that. A very, uh, and you'll find them everywhere. I've never lived, uh, well, I don't think we won't find them in the desert, okay? Probably not in the desert, but anywhere where there's sufficient moisture to keep the fungus from drying out completely, or, although they get pretty dry. The ones on the trees around here, when it hasn't rained for, you know, like for three or four weeks in the summer sometimes, they get brittle, they break off, they crumble. But then you give them a little bit of rain and they just suck up that water and they become soft and spongy and, and off they go again, okay? A pretty, really kind of interesting little, little organism. Uh, they reproduce, uh, it, it's the, when the fungus reproduces, some of the algal cells accompany the spores so that when they, wherever they land and they start to grow again, they'll have both of them. Uh, there are many different species involved in this. Some of them form those little like trumpet-like structures. Some form these leaf-like structures. Others are like little bit of, bits of scaly stuff on a rock. The three basic types of, uh, of lichen. Okay, so this, uh, you should have seen this in lab. The cross-section, this is a diagram. But you can see all the fungal hyphae. And then these are the algal cells, always on the top, because that's where the light, they're gonna get the most light. 
and the two are clearly uh, interconnected inside of, of, the, uh, of the organism. But really hardy organisms. Uh, when I was in Alaska, there were areas we'd go back out in the woods, and the, you would be walking on nothing but a carpet of lichens. There were so many of them. Uh, reindeer moss, you may have heard of that when you were a kid. They talked about reindeer uh, out in the Arctic. Uh, scraping up bits of uh, what they're scraping up is bits of lichen. That's what they eat. Reindeer moss is actually a type of lichen. Uh, so, really an important species. Here's just uh, some of the different growth. This is uh, a leaf white. Uh, this is uh, uh, a kind of tree like arrangement. And then this is the scaler kind of stuff that you see. All of these are types of lichen. Okay, and then there's the mycorrhizae, which we mentioned earlier. Mycorrhizae are the, the fun, fungal hyphae that are associated with, uh, with plant roots. Uh, he talked about it in Costa Rica, about them being associated with the, the oak trees in particular. Uh, but almost all trees have these associated with them, and not just trees. Uh, many, uh, most, uh, well, most things that grow in the same spot year after year will do this. Annual plants probably don't because they grow there and they die at the end of the year. They don't, get, they don't really form the same types of associations. Uh, but, but really an important part of, of the environment. So, our uh, fungi decline. Well, that's like everything else. Um, yeah, they're declining. Why? Because of habitat loss. Now we, you know, you uh, take an area and you, uh, you clear cut it and then you pave it over like they're doing across the street. Well, there used to be something there, but you know, uh, or if you go down uh, Richmond Road down there by uh, uh, almost to the bypass, they cleared that whole area. And I guess they're building more apartments down there. What I'm not sure what what it is. Okay, everything that used to live in there now has no place to live. They're gone. Okay, now they're hopefully they're not unique, and and there are other places around here where they still grow. But that's that's what we mean by habitat loss. Take away the place where the organism normally lives, and you know, they have problems. Uh, air pollution is definitely a role, plays a role uh, with with the, the fungi, uh, and so clearly they're decomposers and they're symbionts. Both of these are critical roles in, in the ecosystem. Okay, uh, we don't, it's not something you want to see decline. Okay, so this is uh, just a, a quick look at the different groups of uh, the uh, fungi, what the, the, the uh, spore types are for each one, uh, and a little bit about how they feed. Uh, these are just some of the, these are all the Sidiomyces down here. Uh, and that's it for fungi. Okay, what time is it? Not, not that late. Now, um, the exam is on Monday. Uh, you have all the questions. Uh, it covers up through this material. Okay. Uh, right after that, we'll start on animals. Um, we'll have, uh, do invertebrates first, and then vertebrates. Um, but do you have any questions about the questions that were put out? How many have started looking them over and actually answering some of them? Okay. If you haven't done that, you need to st start doing that. You have all the questions ahead of time. I'm expecting complete answers. Not just two or three sentences, okay? I'm expecting you to give me details. You've had plenty of time to, 
and you still have plenty of time. You've got uh, five days to, to prepare. Uh, so make, make use of that time. Now, the, my approach to this is that, uh, I, you know, I could just give regular examples like other people do, make you just study and say, oh, here are the objectives, study, and hopefully you study the right stuff. Everything, all those questions cover the things that I think are important. And so the goal here is if you go through and, and answer all those questions, you are reinforcing the important material from the course. And then we, I'll pick a few of them out and we will answer them on the exam. And that's my way of making sure that you've actually gone through them and, and, and uh, spent some time on them. Okay? So spend some time with them. Detailed answers. Okay, uh, one of the questions has to do with uh, you know, picking one of the core concepts and, and something that we've covered that uh, that uh, uh, supports one of them. If you were to pick, let's say, structure and function, you need to tell me what particular structures uh, structures support a particular function. I need to you know, I need some details about each part of that. Okay, uh, if you want to talk about plants and, and their, their their structures, adaptations to living on land, you need to be specific about what the structure is what the function of that is, and how that illustrates the you know, structure and function. You could pick any of those, any of those core concepts. But, um, but I'm looking for details. Okay? You won't get full credit if there's no details. So I'll just we'll let you know right up front. So that's the downside of knowing the questions ahead of time. More is expected. Uh, any, any questions? Well, then I'm... Uh, let's see. I don't see any point in uh, starting a new material today. Uh, if there aren't any questions, uh, I guess we'll stop at this point for today. Uh, and uh, happy studying.